0: Hello again everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. I'm Art Regner. This is episode number 41. gives me great pleasure to uh, uh, introduce as our guest on episode 41 of the Red and White Authority, uh, NHL Hall of Famer, former Red Wing, former Blackhawk, former Canadian, I guess former Atlanta Thrasher too. I don't know if we'll delve into that part of his career, but <laughs> uh, uh, I consider the greatest. Uh, born American player in NHL history. Uh, Chris Else joins us. And uh, Chris, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. No, thank you, Art. Um, Your story is extraordinary simply because you're a Hall of Fame player. You've captained Olympic teams, yet your road to the NHL is one that I think no other player has ever traveled. Uh, I could name one that gives me a run for my
1: money, that'd be Austin Matthews. Well, I'm that's true. Parents from LA and I wanna say Phoenix, and I, his mother's born in a foreign country, I believe, I hope I'm not mistaken. No, you're right, you're right. And I think it's uh, Columbia, I could be wrong. And it's not like me, I grew up in Chicago, but I moved to San Diego then and traveled into Moose Jaw, but again, that's the only guy similar that, you know, had no reason in the world to be playing hockey, and we like he's gonna be an unbelievable star, And and for what I accomplished for a kid from Chicago and San Diego, I was pretty
0: lucky. You're in San Diego, you're really on the beach playing hockey. Uh, were you surprised that, even though I don't know what kind of hockey it was out there, if it was inline skating or not, but that you were able, being from Chicago, able to continue a sport that you you, you obviously loved?
1: Yeah, I mean, there
0: was no pressure
1: on I me. Mean, I never realistically thought I was going anywhere in hockey. I was a small, undersized kid. Uh, And then moving out to San Diego after my sophomore year of high school, you know, it was always on my mind and my parents always told me, especially my dad, that I'm going to college regardless and I'm going to get a degree and get a job in business. And that's basically what my goal was in life. And the fact that things went the way they did, as you mentioned, um, never became a reality until maybe after my first year uh, in Wisconsin and... Then I probably, that's really the first time I started taking hockey serious. You know, Moose Jaw was great. That's where I got my break. Uh, For a couple years I played there. But, again, it was, uh, I had no pressure on me. There there was no goal for me. to. It's not like a Canadian kid or a kid from Boston or, you know, or Minnesota that they're going to grow up and play hockey in the NHL. I. I never thought I was gonna be in the NHL.
0: Well, you know, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll certainly move on, but this is, for, for fans that don't know this story, It, as I said, it's extraordinary. You're in San Diego, or you're in Southern California, playing around San Diego, beautiful, beautiful city, and how do you end up in Moose Jaw? <laughs> Well, it, I got lots of books left. If you want to buy one, but uh, no, no, no. That's, it is a good book, by the, the
1: way. Yeah, the short story of it is, I was trying out for a university out there, University uh, United States International University. They just started a program. Brad Buteau was a coach, and Maynard Howe. The, the after that, but anyway, um, they had promised, you know, scholarships to a lot of Canadians, and I was the odd man out. Uh, and I got mono. I caught mono uh, right wow. during tryouts for the team. And I continued to go to school and then one of the kids that was playing for the United States International University, uh, Bob Parker, I met him on a beach, they were all training on a beach one day and that's when I decided I'm just going to surf and and go to school and work and uh, he told me I was good enough to play and I told him I tried that the previous year, it didn't work out in Canada, in Hawkesbury and I got cut from about three or four teams on the way home. And he gave me the phone number of the coach in Moose Jaw. He told me I had to pay my own way, and I told him I couldn't because we had no money. Yeah. They lost. They went on a little bit of a losing streak, and he paid my way up there, and you know the rest was history.
0: Now you, uh, the rest is history as you said. But, yeah. the, but the real interesting part is, you go from Moose Jaw to the University of Wisconsin. Yeah. Now did you, you know, did you have? You still you had eligibility, or because you had like several different names? I mean, how did you end up in I, Wisconsin? I
1: can't get into that because I don't know how long they go back. I <laughs> uh, did win a ring in college, so I don't want them to take it away.
0: No. <laughs> all right, so you make it. I'm sorry, Chris. I have to ask you that. Yeah. but uh, All right, so you make it. You make it to Wisconsin. Uh, at that point, that's where you really got serious about hockey. Yeah. Uh, is it because you were able to hold your own with? Scholarship players. Wisconsin's a big-time program, and at that time, American college, or American university, or college hockey was really starting to assimilate itself into the NHL culture. Well,
1: because of the 1980 Olympic team, obviously, yeah. they, you know, they paved the way for guys like myself and our generation of players, the Roniks, the Kachucks, and um, but I, I mean, I stand corrected. I did get drafted my second year out of Moose Jaw. And that's what it, it kind of became a reality. That at least I'm going to get a tryout, if anything, and maybe I'll make the minors. Um, so that was really the, the you know, I, take, I talk about taking it seriously. I took it seriously when I went to mooshaw because you're playing in front of two, three thousand people, which I'd never done before. For, so to me, had that been the end, that was my, you know, professional experience. You know, playing there in mooshaw in front of a whole town of 150,000 people. You know that rink was jammed, and it was. We went to the finals of the the two years I was there, so it was great hockey. And I, you know, I I played hard and played to win. And then again, like I said, getting drafted, uh, that's when it seemed like okay, now maybe I got a shot at you know prolonging my career, if anything, and going to college.
0: You know, you uh, you go to college, as I said, Wisconsin, great program. Uh, then you make your NHL debut. With the premier franchise, probably in all of the NHL, the Montreal Canadiens. You're an American. You assimilated yourself into Montreal's culture, into that city, into that team from day one. Were you just so psyched to be a Canadian? I mean, were you a, a bit of a hockey historian growing up in Chicago, knowing the original six? Because you always had a hockey team. Yeah. You know what? What was it like for an American kid who had? Traveled from Chicago to San Diego to Moose Jaw to Madison, Wisconsin to find himself in Montreal. Uh,
1: pretty o- overwhelming. I can honestly say I'd never been to Montreal before. You know, the first day I got there after Olympics, so um, I, I knew watching the Canadians how great a team they had in the late '60s, early '70s, especially when they played uh, Chicago in the playoffs, the '71 series where we lost. I should say Chicago lost in the finals, but um, I had no idea how serious. The, the French Canadians uh, took their hockey. I had no idea what was going on as far as the separatists. Um, you oh, know, yeah. To me, I'm thinking, what the heck's going on here? The English hate the French, the French hate the English. They're literally trying to separate from Canada. And I was going through all that, so you had to deal with that. Uh, and it, it translated into hockey because it was the politics of a French newspaper and an English newspaper. So, um, like I said, it was Something I never could ever imagined um, being caught up in that, and then again, the the, the high standards that they set, and having you know leaders like Bob Gainey, Larry Robinson, Guy Lafleur, and the list went on of you know how fortunate I was to be able to play and learn from the best players ever, and uh, that attributed to you know. What, why I became the player I did and the leader that I did was because the guys I had to teach me.
0: Even though the province, Quebec, was thinking about seceding from Canada, the team was still together. I mean, because it was a mixture of oh, all yeah. different cultures, and which is good, but did it almost help you because you weren't English Canadian, being an American where you didn't get involved in the politics at all, and not that the players did yep. itself, but it was a little bit easier on you because they knew This guy is from the United States. Well,
1: they say timing's everything. The team had been struggling before I got there. They were looking for some young talent. Um, You know, I just come from, you know, there's a lot of hype about me, that's for sure. And I never, when I first 13 games, I really didn't do much. So I was being criticized a lot uh, for my play. Um, But again, not having high expectations for myself, you know, just thinking I I had my, you know, I was ready to go to Sherbrooke, the minor league team. I, I really was after two, three games thinking, well, I'll go to the minors, pay my dues, and then see if I could break in. But, you know, Jacques Lemaire, Serge Savard, they gave me every chance in the world because, you know, there was really no one else there to take a spot. And, you know, just like someone hit a switch, uh, I scored a goal, got my confidence. And like you mentioned, I didn't think about Pollux. I flat out didn't think about anything other than playing hockey and and trying my best. So um, 13 games in, we get into the playoffs. I score a goal, the first goal of the playoffs. Against Boston, and from that on, I thought I could do anything, and you know, I had so much success that playoff, my first playoff round, uh, losing to the Islanders in the semis, that I basically made the team. You know, in the 13 games in the playoffs, uh, you know, for the next year, and and
0: secured my spot. What would you, how would you sum it up your Canadians career? I mean, because you, you're, what's interesting about you obviously is you played for three original six franchises, and I guess it couldn't get any better. The Canadians your hometown team, Chicago, yep. and then Detroit, who, you know, because I'm from Detroit maybe, but probably as far as American franchises go, the best American franchise in the NHL as far as cups and stuff. So yep. what was it like then for, for, for Montreal? Because you, you understood the culture, you got, it sounds like because of who you are, you got into it right away.
1: Yeah, and Montreal, like I said, I wished, I never wanted to be traded. That that I was shocked that I was traded there. Um, and. Again, had it not been in Chicago, I probably would have been really disappointed, but they sent me home. You know, my, I was going to go back and reunite with my parents. They were living out in San Diego, so I moved them back to Chicago. All my family and friends I grew up with until I was 16 in, in Chicago. So for me, uh, I, I was just happy to, to see all the kids that I'd played with, my coaches. It was more exciting for them to see the hometown kid made it. Um, and they really had no idea where I'd gone uh, until I broke in with Montreal a lot of the people in Chicago is we just got up and moved as a family and no one knew why we moved and that's another story, (laughs) uh, the restaurant business. But uh, yeah, I mean, and then when Chicago, I wasn't surprised, I actually asked to be traded because it was just time and the way things were going, they were going the transition period. And then to go to Detroit was a blessing, like you mentioned, they'd already won two cups you know the loss of vladimir konstantinov unfortunately was probably the only reason why i got traded here they were trying to fill that you know that role and you know it worked out you know better than i thought i could ever imagined it could have been a disaster because when i left chicago everybody turned on me there and then detroit already had hated me so thank god that you know we won a cup and it kind of settled the peace with all the detroit fans and and i'm here 18 19 years later and i've become a you know a regular you know athlete that stayed you know after his career and I've had the restaurant. My kids have gone to Michigan State. Like so, I feel like part of the, a big part of the community after you know what I've been through and, and the road I've taken.
0: What was your perception of Detroit? Because you had played here with the with the Canadians, obviously, and then and then with Chicago, and it was a heated rivalry. I can remember some playoff series where you know I'm sitting there cursing at you, yep. you know, and, uh, uh, and and then you come here. Were you because you were accepted right away? Yep. There was no doubt. I mean, when Chris Chelios became a Red Wing, everything that he had done in the past was the past. He yeah. was a Red Wing now.
1: Well, there's still some haters out there, believe it or not. <laughs> I, mean, I can't tell you how many times people come up to me and say, well, we used to hate you when you played for Chicago, but now we're, we're happy you played for Detroit. But there, like I said, before I won the Cup here, or we had won the Cup when I was here, there's a lot of people still that were you know not too happy about me coming here and didn't get over it until after that that win because the high expectations they had and then and all the animosity they had towards me and i would have hated me too if i you know if i was a detroit fan for all the things i did to sergey and and steve and the way i played but uh again like that every once in a while i get a jab but i get in chicago and that's kind of gone away too everybody seems to you know i'm at peace now with it because I, i for a while there was pretty tough especially going back to chicago but, yeah, I've been expe- accepted in Detroit. I feel you know, I, I, people here couldn't be nicer to me. the fans. They've always been, you know, great, like you mentioned, this day one. But, again, there's a lot of bad blood when I got here.
0: Right. We, You know, I know we're going to jump around, and I knew that we were going to do this. When you get a couple of Greeks together to start talking, God only knows where the conversation is going to go. But you told me one time that Steve Eisenman was the toughest player you played against because not that he was dirty, but... You know, he, Stevie, and I used to watch him too, yeah. he was pretty liberal with his stick when yep. the referee wasn't
1: looking. Yeah, I mean, obviously Stevie's not a big kid. I think he's 5'9", five 5'10", five and for for a player of his stature, skilled player, if you compare him to the Gretzkys, the Howard Chucks, uh, the Savards, you know. Uh, Stevie, one thing, I used to go after him, and he never backed down. I actually dropped the gloves with him once after they scored a goal. I jumped him before anybody had a chance to jump in there. Um, <laughs> but I always respected him, he dropped his gloves. If you did slash him, you know you're gonna get it back. If you hit him, he's gonna try and hit you, and he was a great player.
0: Really, Uh, so, and I wanna, as I said, I know we're jumping around, but you didn't wanna leave Montreal, how did that, because I was stunned, and I thought I followed the league even back then, I couldn't believe you were traded.
1: Yeah, well, there's all (laughs) kinds of stuff you can talk about, the only guy I can, you know, believe because he traded me would be search of art and he told me a couple of years ago uh... why he traded me at the actually at one of the hall of fames like i never really got a, a good excuse i wasn't disappointed at, at the time because i went to chicago um... um i was surprised but i wasn't disappointed um, but he literally told me the doctors told me, told him that my knees were shot one of my knees was shot and that's the excuse he told me and. Believe it or not, in Chicago, that was when I was uh, getting traded there. That was the same thing they said. My x-rays uh, showed that I had a really bad knee, and it, it didn't hurt me one bit, which was crazy. But I would hurt my knees you know, prior to that numerous times. And it's like Homer. For eight years, they said, Homer, you can't skate. Look at him, blah, blah. But Homer lasted eight years on those knees of his, and they're ten times worse than mine. So... Um, that's the excuse I got and I'll have to accept that and if that was a the reason then that's legit
0: so you go to Chicago you're home you bring your family back you bring your parents back from San Diego yep. uh, you become captain of the Blackhawks uh, I would imagine at that point when you're sitting there thinking about it you, you, this is it for you there you have you're, you've hit your ceiling meaning that you want to stay here your' home yep. and you're playing for you're playing for Chicago I know uh, from talking to you and and, and, and when, when I wrote the book what it means to be a red wing you were almost convinced before you came to Detroit that the Blackhawk organization and I'm not trying to badmouth them had convinced you that you're you were done that you're playing days well over. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I mean did you really because you know you I, you know I, I figured you'd play well into your 50s you'd try to be gordy yeah. uh, I know how you are and i I know what burns inside you but how did that all come about?
1: First of all, I'd never try and beat Gordy. I would have tied him and then quit. If I could <laughs> ever, I'm the highest American. He could be the highest Canadian. That's good enough for me. All but right. um, there are certain players uh, or certain uh, people in management. Uh, it doesn't matter who they were. It was like Dirk Graham was a coach, Bob right. Murray. And like I said, I, I totally agree. It was time. I don't agree with the way they handled it. I don't way the way they treated me. I think I deserve better than that. Um, but. I couldn't agree more that it was time uh, you know, for me to move on. I couldn't carry the load anymore, I wasn't the same player, and Detroit was an unbelievable fit because of all the veteran leadership and success, I could just kind of slide in and do my role, so th- there was no animosity towards anybody, but like I said, I just wish they would have handled it differently. I know Mr. Wirtz had no idea what was going on uh, throughout you know, the last two, three months of my uh, playing ga- days there. Uh, you know, things went on behind the scenes. You, you know, it just the writing was on the wall, and I, I played with Dirk Graham. I didn't want it to end like that. I, did, I, did, I had too much respect for him. I think Bob Murray was the assistant GM at the time. Uh, I knew Bob pretty well, but not a friend. So, like I said, I don't ever look back. You know, I always looked ahead, and right. I just look at myself as very fortunate to have ended up on a great team in Detroit, and I moved on.
0: You know, I know you said something to me, and I don't. You know, I. I, I, I I don't want to make you uncomfortable, but you had a sister who was going through some cancer treatments and so Detroit just in proximity seemed like such a great fit for you too because you were able to go be with her as well. Yeah,
1: and if it wasn't for her, I probably and my family I probably wouldn't have stuck it out in Chicago as long as I did either. Um, it affected my play especially my, my sister and you know, traveling down to Tijuana with her and sitting in these rooms with her I V s hooked her trying to give her some strength, but and it, it can't be the same person. I don't care who you are. Uh, that takes its toll when a family member and, and knowing that the end was going to come, you know, sooner than later for her. She battled, and you know, and I think I remember Kenny Hall and Jim Neal attended her funeral because it was right during training camp of my first training camp with Detroit. So yeah, that played a big part in it. Being able to commute back and forth to Detroit, if she ever had a bad day, I can get back there. You know, Kenny allowed me to do that, and and even you know, twenty seventeen years later. When my father was you know passing, yes. They gave me that same luxury of a part time job being able to get back and help my mom at any time. So that that's the one thing I did know about the Illich family, Mr. and Mrs. Illich, how well they treated the players, how much of a class that Kenny Holland and the rest of the management was. So that had a big bearing. I hated Detroit for sure, like playing against them. And right. Didn't like the city, but again, it gets word gets around
0: about management and ownership and I, I went to one we of the the best organization. When I, you know, I don't want to belabor this point. I've never really asked an athlete this before because it sounds like you're making excuses or it's like, oh, Chelly's your buddy or something like that. But is the most frustrating thing for an athlete because there's demands on you there's pressure on you that the fans really don't know about and you know then they look at the money that you're making and they think that you should be on is it that they forget that there is a human side that you're a human being and you go through everything that we go through too and sometimes as you said my sister was ill it was going to affect me I I guess what I'm trying to say is I I guess you can't go out and say hey give me a break but you sometimes yeah. wish that people would just realize that you're a supremely talented hockey player. Yeah. Uh, you're a great person. You do things for the community, but once in a while, just to back off.
1: Well, I think there's uh, the only. I think the two things that affected me. Like, it, I never had to uh, make decisions between family and, and the sport. Be Fortunately, it never got to that. Um, uh, other than maybe having to uproot my family and move them, but uh, the, I can remember only two things. I that like I just lost it would have been I yelled at a teammate after a playoff game for taking some dumb penalties and that was right in the heat of you know my sister's chemotherapy so that I think what the issue was if we'd have won the game I would have been able to go home for two or three days and yeah. spend some time with her or she was out in California at the time getting treatment so that kind of blew up there and then when we lost to Anaheim I didn't shake hands with Anaheim mostly because the same thing I, it, it just built up over the playoffs what my sister was going through, and I just emotionally, I didn't want to be on the ice and have a breakdown, whatever.
0: Right, like right. Said, no, no, I understand.
1: But the fans have been more than fair. I've always kept it quiet. I've never, you know, I tried to, I tried to do the best I could at my job. It didn't affect my play as much as I, I'm leading. on just there were some times when you get to that point right. and you snap, and usually when that happened, I just go out and fight someone and get it off my chest like that. It really helped a lot when you could be physical and go out and, and get in a fight, and you just felt better, you know, believe it or not.
0: As tough as it was to play against Stevie, and as he liked to dish it out, it seemed, if I remember, but again, I, I really admired him as a player, and he took a lot of guff here in Detroit when he was a Red Wing. What was it like to play against Sergey? Because he, on any given night, he could virtually do whatever he wanted to yeah. do out on, on the ice.
1: Yeah, Sergey. He, had, he didn't get upset. Like you, I would run at Sergey, and he just give me that look, and he'd try and run me, but he was too nice a kid. He was, you know, he was a clean player, and again, an amazing player. Ended up being my best friend on the team because we lived so close together. I spent a lot of time with Sergey, and we still talk together a lot. Uh, but yeah, Sergey, I knew I wasn't gonna get it back. I knew McCarty or someone else was coming after me when I went after Sergey or Lapointe. But
0: um, like I said, I had the utmost respect for him, but. Easy target for me. You know, you you played in a lot of rivalries. You know, we always hear about the Montreal-Boston rivalry that you played in. Obviously, the Detroit-Chicago rivalry, and then the Detroit-Colorado rivalry. I will still say that the 2002 Western Conference Final, where three of those games went into overtime, and then when you guys, the back was to the wall, you, I think you shut out the Avalanche by a combined score of nine to nothing in in games five and six was a, some of the best hockey I've ever seen in my life. Can you describe, is each individual rivalry, you've played, as I said, in three really intense ones, does one stand out more than the other? Not so much the rivalries,
1: but that team you're mentioning, uh, that's the greatest team, or I, mean, I don't know how many Hall of Famers we had, you probably know better than me. Yeah. Without a doubt, the expectations 2002. Of that team, yeah, and then the rivalry before Colorado, that was a team to beat, we almost blew it you know, against uh, Vancouver, which Right, right. Been a disaster. of first two, yeah. Yeah, that would have been a waste of, of, of a great <laughs> team because um, I don't know if we kept everybody after that. I know a few guys retired, um, and, we, and Scotty actually retired after that too. But um, – but when you talk about rivalries, Montreal—it was the Nordiques, you know, and Brilliant. Boston. Oh, Right, right. Uh, depending on who you played in the playoffs, and then you know the which, Nordiques,
0: which came, which became the Colorado Avalanche. They were,
1: yeah, they were a really good team, and I think they beat us one year in the playoffs when I was there. We beat them a couple times. Always seemed to run into Boston, uh, first or second round, just uh, like killing each other. And I—I and <laughs> I walked into that not knowing again, like in my first year of class. Uh, I was, it was a, a relief to go to the third round against the Islanders in the semifinals and not have to like kill each other. Like it was right, like, right. Oh, but but um, yeah, and then, you know, Chicago was Minnesota, even St. Louis with Hull and Shani on those teams. We had some great rivalries there, and then when I got to Detroit, I, you know, I had a rivalry actually with Chicago and Colorado because we played them two years prior to that in the playoffs, but the Detroit-Colorado rivalry was Way more than than it was with Chicago, Colorado. So, yeah, unbelievable rivalries, mostly built on the playoffs and the success, especially with Colorado. You know, did winning the cups and then right. Detroit coming right back at
0: them. It was. Uh, you mentioned Scotty. Yep. Uh, I always, you know, I admire him. He's done a lot for me over the years and for my career. Uh, and, and you know, and I, I, you know, I always enjoy talking to him what was it like to have him as your head coach? Because by the time you got here, you were extremely accomplished. I mean, everyone knew yeah. who Chris Chelios was, but I would say that Scotty probably had as much respect as you had for him. In his own odd way, he had just as much respect for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd never talked to him before that uh, I got here. And probably never talked to him while he was here. I, I listened to him a lot. <laughs> When you had something to say to him he usually walked out of the room before you were done saying but i loved him um he he was hard on the younger guys he was hard on the grinders uh you know he, the guys he needed to get the most out of on the third and fourth line that was his strength uh, when i got to him i think he was nothing like like a player he was 25 30 years ago uh, i talked to larry robinson about him and said we must have been a great coach you must have loved him you won four cups And Larry's reply would be, we should have won eight. So (laughs) it depends who you ask and what time of his career. So uh, I kind of wondered about that, but I understood it. But he really, you know, he did everything to make me succeed in Detroit from day one when I got here. From putting me on the power play to get me that first goal, you know, to, to give me the ice time. He told me in Chicago I was getting booed so bad just to go in the dressing room and watch it, you know, go up in the switch and watch his third period with Michael Jordan because he came in the dressing room. So <laughs> I really enjoyed him and, and, and got to talk to him a little bit towards, you know, the end of the season. Um, but I, just like I said, one of the greatest coaches ever for sure, no question. And I had the chance to play for him, which was great.
0: Right, you know, I, I, I look at it. You look at all those teams. You you know, we talked about that two thousand uh, uh, two team, but yeah, you know, I always thought it maybe I you know I'm, I'm overstating it here, but it always seemed that you and Brett Hall had a real kind of special bond. Was that forged just by playing for Team USA, yeah. or uh, yeah, because you guys were buddies you know what I mean would you consider that you know through all the hockey uh, wars that you have been through in battles and you know I mean I know you have a lot of friends throughout the league and you're very respected but is it, Holly a special type of relationship
1: for you? yeah I mean everything our friendship you know started with the USA teams and you couldn't get under Hollys skin you could doesn't matter what you did to him um, running him, slash him, you just look at you just shrug his shoulders and and then score three goals on you so there was no, and I couldn't. It just—he's probably one of the only guys, and um, you know, that I played with, that I, you know, that just said unless we played him in the playoffs, I wouldn't even go near him or touch him. To be honest with you, okay. uh, Keenan tried to get me to go after him, and never, and never did. Uh, but like I said, we, we were roomed together in Detroit. You know, he was my roommate that whole year, and uh, we roomed together in Canada Cups and World Cups. So yeah, if, if I was to say there's one player that you know over the years that I was closest with it would be Hulley, Jeremy Roenick, Eddie Balfour, the three guys that that come to mind.
0: Really, when uh, last year during the World Cup of Hockey, and because unfortunately Team USA was kinda out of that early, but the studio shows that you were on with Brett Hall were classic. They were (laughs) some of the best, (laughs) best analysis, and just, you could tell, why, why isn't a network snatching you two guys up and do you think if, if the if, if the olympics you might have if uh if the nhl would have gone there you know what
1: i think if espn would have had hockey i think holly we both said we would have committed to it and taken that job uh if they were going to get a package well, there's kind of rumors that right. NBC was going to sell them a package but it never panned out i don't know how long the deal is but uh my daughter does it it's something i do in the house here now a little bit on the, on the in between periods and pre-game um, that's probably the only thing I haven't ruled out because of the commitment. Um, coaching is what I love to do most, and but I just can't see myself traveling in that grind of traveling right. all season long. I got spoiled uh, when I retired because they let me allowed me to go see my parents and, and my kids on a part-time basis. So uh, now I enjoy that so much I still have two kids playing a sport that I want to be able to see them. I missed a lot because I played so long. But, right, um, right. Like I said, I'm not rolling the TV thing out, you know, I'm, I to, I'm trying to pitch to the, the NBC at some point that me and my daughter want to jump on there when she's ready, so she's probably a year or two away from uh, from being ready for that level, but uh, who knows, it'd be pretty cool having a father-daughter thing. Well, she does an excellent job, she's with Tampa. Yeah, yeah, Stevie got her the, the audition or whatever you'd call it, and um, why not take Chelio, she got a good name, so, <laughs> and she loves it, and you know she's lucky because she's got a good team and everybody's always in a good mood down there and it makes it that much better work you know work atmosphere
0: you know i can remember when you were a player i used to have to i would do my radio show and then the pre and post game shows from from the bathroom studio right off the ice which i called studio p i can always remember your kids as little kids always in there getting dressed and going out onto the ice i mean even though you were away more than you wanted to be you always found time for those kids out on that ice at Joe Louis Arena.
1: Yeah, I mean, even when you are home, though, you're at the rink. And you right. know, when in Chicago, is bad because we always had Friday road game or Saturday road games and Sunday at home. So if your kids were in school, you never got to see them on the weekends. Wow. So here in Detroit, plus we're chartering here. We weren't chartering in Chicago when I was there. Right. So any opportunity I had to bring them to the rink, I'd bring them all to the rink. I don't know how much the trainers liked it. Uh, I'd like to think my kids were well-behaved, but anyway.
0: They really were. I mean, no, I saw them
1: every day. really respectful kids, and they loved coming down with all the other kids. Chicago, we had boatloads of kids. And, and Detroit, we had a lot of kids, but it didn't seem like they were all the same ages. Um, but, again, they, they appreciated it. Like, I, I don't know how many guys kids were, like, when I won the cup. Uh, in 2002, my kids, boys, were 11 and 8 at the time, and that's something for to be playing hockey and be able to show your kids that, and they're going to remember it the rest of their lives. Most guys' kids are too young to remember them playing. So, I was fortunate enough that you know they they lived and breathed hockey, the boys, the girls, and you know, again, like you mentioned, they were rink rats just
0: like I was. Right. right. No, no, I, I, I always remember that, and they were they were really well behaved. Uh, the uh, as I said, I'm jumping around. We talked about Scotty. But what about Mike Keenan? I mean, Iron Mike, I mean, we—you know he just got let go, I guess, in China. Yeah. He was a coach, and, you know, he's always doing something. Long-time rumored to be to, to be maybe a Red Wing coach. He's one of the guys that was always – it's kind of like Keith Yandel, who's uh, – we're doing this just before the Florida game. Keith Yandel has always been somehow rumored he's going to be eventually be a Red Wing. Yeah. You know, Mike Keenan was the coach kind of guy that was going to eventually be a coach. You played for him. Um, I don't know. I thought maybe he he was a little gruff to be here in Detroit. I'm not sure. It's just yeah. my own thing. What was it like to have Mike Keenan as your coach? Because obviously you were the team leader, uh, and did, was it cla- Was were you clashing, or was he? We clashed. He, I think he uh, he he's the
1: only coach that I ever clashed with. Um, so he, but he enjoyed it. He liked the confrontation. He challenged. You. He he would actually enjoy you yelling back at him, which I very seldom did. Uh, you know, I, I might not yell, but I'd, I'd disagree with him, and then he'd probably walk out of the room laughing because he'd he's seen how mad I'd gotten, and then I'd carry it out onto the ice and, and try even harder. But he, he did trade for me. He convinced, you know, Mr. Wurtz and Bob Pulford to trade, you know, Denny Savard for me, which was... A big, big deal. A, yeah, so, I mean, you know, like I guess he treated me great. When he was tough on me, I, like I, I think I needed that sometimes. If I was complacent, it's because I was comfortable, and I didn't. I was better when I wasn't comfortable. So he, he made sure I was never comfortable when I played. And but you know, between him and Daryl Sutter, there was never a dull moment. You know, it was something crazy every day uh, on the ice, whether it was in, in team fighting or you know who knows. Like it, like he, he wanted to be one of the guys and wanted to go drink with the guys and be your friend, but then he'd crucify you at the ice, it just doesn't work. So. Um, and then you'll ask guys like Brian Noon and Stefan Mateo, Steve Larmer, who he treated so badly, you know, yeah. and, and verbally assault them, you know, during their careers in Chicago. But then he took him to St. Louis. He took them to New York to win Cups, you know, took him to Vancouver. Uh, so he took care of those players and and they played hard for him. And as, as, as much as those stories you heard about him, of him being basically psychotic, they're probably true. But probably a short-term coach you you can only take him for so long because he puts his foot in that gas and he doesn't let it up like that's that's his way
0: kind of the billy martin of hockey in a way
1: yeah i don't know how billy martin was with his teammates i don't you know i don't know but same fire you know for sure you know had a terrible temper you know but he, he i think the psychologist part was which he thought he knew everything you can't take tell a psychologist anything. Right. Mike Babcock's living proof of that. So they think they know everything. So that's just the way they are.
0: Well, well, you know, I let's bring Babs into the conversation. Because, you know, again, I have to go by, you know, you, you're raised, you, you treat people the way they treated you. I never, I had a couple issues with Babs where he tried to call me out. And you got to go right back at him, which I did. Uh, it, it was about... Nah, it doesn't matter what it was about. But anyway, my point being is this, is that um, there was one time I, uh, a former Red Wing was, was traded to Detroit and he was playing against his old team and one of the skaters sk- 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 came up to him and said, who had played for Mike Babcock in Anaheim, and said, is Bab still his own biggest fan? And this player responded, oh yeah. So <laughs> that's... How is it when you have a coach who knows he's good Yet, sometimes you clash just because egos clash.
1: Uh, I mean, that's just the hockey. I yeah. mean, that's just the way it is. When things aren't going well for a player, first the guy he's gonna bitch about is the coach. Like, right. Why is he changing the lines? Why, that's just human nature of us. That's what we do. Uh, you try not to let the little things bother you, but again, when things aren't going well, and I hear it still to this day, you know, whether it's the media or players or a general manager about the coach, they're gonna crucify that coaches or second guess him every chance they get that's most of the most of the cases I've seen that's the way it is um, you know for me personally with Babs you know we never had an argument like he he's yelled at me I've never yelled at him or argued back right I always believe when a co- he's the coach I do what you're told the problem is I couldn't do what he was telling me meaning that I had such a long leash when I played uh, the coaches just trusted me to do the right thing and play the way I wanted to and that's the luxury of being a skilled player, that you can do what you want as opposed to a role player of just getting pucks deep and playing simple. When I tried to be a role player, or he tried to transform into role player, I my skill was my vision. I could anticipate, well, when it came to straight lines and structure, which is he, he's really good at and accountability, I just couldn't do it as hard as I tried. Even if he told me to do a play in practice, I couldn't do it because my mind was telling me, here's where the puck's gonna be. So anyway, right. that's just all it was. It was just that. and. You know, it was nothing ever that, it, like I said, when you play till you're 47, 48, you're going to find a coach that doesn't like you. One, right, you know, right, it's going right, to
0: happen, right. and it just
1: so happens I found at the end
0: of my career. Yeah. I, I, have you had any kind of, uh, since he's left for Toronto, have you talked yeah, to him? Yeah, yeah. You, you know, he I mean, comes to
1: the bench every time to see the guys on the ice, and he says hi, and I talk to him. He asks how my kid's doing yeah, you know, there's nothing. Like I said, anybody who goes and drags animals for miles through canyons and and hunts like he does, gotta be a little cuckoo. So you know, I get it.
0: He's a little cuckoo. He is. I'm not gonna ask you to rate him, but Scotty Keenan and Babs. Is there a trait that is similar which makes them great coaches, or are they all just unique and different in their own way? I can't compare
1: Scotty because of the age difference when mm-hmm. I got him, because he's much a different, you know, person than with me than he was in 79 with the Canadians and Buffalo and those guys. <laughs> um, Keenan, like I said, he is more a lot more mind games. Um, that That's his thing. He, that's, he tried to motivate guys with mind games and, and, and treating them like, poorly to try and get more out of it. And Babs was just about structure and accountability his way or no way. Really? Before.
0: So, so in a sense, they all had their they had their own yeah. unique way and vision of how you should win.
1: Yeah, and Scotty had a different game. Like it wasn't over-analyzed. It wasn't overstructured. So the skill was allowed to come out, and he he knew skill. I mean, when he brought in those five Russian guys right. and, and transformed this organization, you know that that alone, you know, puts him on a pedestal. You know how he changed his team overnight.
0: I always said. Yeah, I, was a, I grew up, I was a big admirer of, uh, of John Wooden, you know, yeah. and the, those UCLA coaches. I've read his pyramid, you know, the books and all that. And, you know, obviously uh, being a Michigan fan and going to Michigan and meeting Bo Schembechler and I looked at, you know, Sparky Anderson, even Chuck Daly. There have been some really good coaches here in, 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 the, in Detroit during my lifetime. Yet, I think Scotty Bowman is the greatest coach in the history of professional sport. I uh, just because of the way his mind is. I mean, you know, um, I don't think I ever told you this story, but he told me a story one time. You got into a altercation with Bill McCreary, a verbal alter, the, the referee, and he threw you out of a game. Yeah. I don't know if you remember this game or not. Yeah. And the next game, I remember you being tossed. I, I, you, I think the wings were on the road. The next game, uh, you know, because Scotty knew I love hockey stories, and he, and he says, hey, I've got a good one for you, all right? And I said, well, what happened? And uh he said, Well, you know, McCurry refed our game last night. I said, Yeah, he goes, you know, last time you ref before last night, you know, he and Shelly got into it and he kicked Shelly out of the game. And I said, Yeah, I know. He goes, Well, I went into the refs room last you know, yesterday before the game and I went in there and I said, Hey Bill, you know, how you doing? And he's like, Hey Scotty, how are you? He shakes my hand and I said, Hey, you know, last time you played us, you and Shelly got into it. He goes, and he starts going in on Shelly, why, why would Shelly scream at me? I've been in this league a long time. I respect him, he should respect me. He goes, Yo, yeah, oh, no, 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 no. He goes, I looked at the play that you, you know, and you were absolutely right. You were absolutely right. Chris was wrong, and Shelly was wrong, and, you, and you, he deserved to be kicked out. And and, and then Scotty starts laughing, like now I'm supposed to understand what's going on, yeah. you know how he is, and I said, well, well, was McCurry right? He goes, how in the bleep should I know? I just know he's gonna ref a lot of Stanley Cup playoff games, so I want him to feel good, right. <laughs> feel good. Yeah. I mean, to me, I think that's brilliant. I mean, or does that happen all the time? Or I don't know. I've never heard of coaches going and talk
1: to the referees, to be honest with you. Maybe they'd walk by him and say hi. But no. But but he Scottie. can do it, though. Well, like I said, Scotty's earned it. And McCreary thinks he's earned it. Like, I get along with him now. I see him all the time. But like I said back then, I, like I said, I was tough on referees. And I feel like an idiot
0: now for what I did. But that's just heat of the moment. Oh wow! Well, so so anyway, that that's why I think he's great. I mean, yeah. I I really do admire him. When we look at it, uh, uh, you're here in Detroit. You're playing. You've assimilated yourself, which seems to be my word during this podcast. I've said it several times. Uh, how surprised and pleased are you that I know you're from Chicago? And I and I wrote something. I wrote a story on you. I think during training camp or something, where where I said. Whenever I'm in Chicago, I almost feel like I'm in a much larger Detroit. I mean, I I, I feel real yeah. comfortable. The people are kind of the same, and I said we probably have much more in common with each other than either city cares to admit. Yeah. But maybe I'm overstating it. I, I I mean because, and I and I used you as the proof. I said, look at what Chelios, I mean, Cello's came here and he, he's it's just like he is a native Detroit. Well, I'm a
1: basically like a city boy to be honest with you. Yeah. So, but. I think the difference is, I, I grew up in the south side in a rough neighborhood, right? but nowhere near as dangerous as Detroit. <laughs> so I'll, that's the one thing I'll say first, uh, and that's counting, you know, when I first started coming to Detroit when I was a kid, n- not going downtown. Like, same thing in Chicago, but now, you know, right. it's a little safer in, in Chicago because of the police presence, and Detroit's going to get there. They're, they're coming. And the other thing you guys got here that we don't have in Detroit is this hillbilly hunting thing. So that's like I you said, mean the people hunt hunting? Hunting, they don't, and that's a big thing here, and that's where you kind of. I find the people in Detroit are friendlier because they're like country, right. countryest type. They got Northern Michigan, which everybody brags about, which is beautiful. Yeah, go up. North. We've been going up there for training camp since I've been here. So that that to me is the two biggest differences. The similarity is the sports, the tradition, the history of the team, their teams. Yeah, they're they're very much alike. The, the suburbs of. The North Shore and Chicago are very similar to Bloomfield Hills and uh-huh. and, and Grosse Point. So, yeah, there's a ton of similar, but there is a, 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 a difference. Uh, I, I think that Detroit people are a little friendlier than the Chicago people.
0: Right. I, I've never hunted in my life. I just wanted to let you but, know that. But, I
1: mean, that, three weeks ago in that season, two weeks ago. <laughs> no, before, no, I have friends I mean, that do. It's all over the radio, and these guys go and lock themselves or sit in their stands. And I actually went duck hunting for the first time in my life two weeks ago. Which was a fun experience, but I mean, I don't like killing animals, so right. right. So is it, ducks that, aren't animals, so I don't care. So. Was that your first time hunting, or I've shot guns before, at mostly skeet, yeah, and I've shot birds, quail out in California, but I've never shot a deer. No, I've never shot anything big, just right. birds.
0: Right, right. Uh, let's uh, well, let's continue to move on here. I know that uh, I think you've got obligations later, and I have things I have to do, but uh, I always enjoy talking to you, Chris. Um, how difficult was it for you to, to hang them up?
1: To, oh, not at all. I mean, people kept asking me you know, when I'm going to know, and I said, well, I, I, I'm going to go out. And there's nothing left in the tank. And you mentioned Atlanta as one of the teams. That would be the blemish, but for me that was a blessing because that's when I knew it was time uh, playing 10 or 12 minutes a game, not being with my family, you know, being living yeah. in a hotel. And that's how most players end up, you know, retiring anyway. They just don't want to uproot. Or move their family again. and My wife wasn't ready to move, and I wasn't ready to be, you know, separated from my family for a long period of time. I mean, my daughter was going into her senior year, and this daughter was a handful. When Kaylee, she was that typical teenage yeah. daughter that broke my wife. And I, I think right after I was finished with the the wolves that year, I played in Atlanta. She begged me, you know, look at you got to come home for her senior year. I can't handle her anymore. And I said, that's fine. So I'm done, and it was the easiest. So Nope, I played as long as I wanted to. No regrets, and I think I, you know,
0: I quit right at the perfect time. I want to touch upon your Olympic career. Uh, you captain, I think, for three Olympic teams, if I'm going off the top of my head here. Uh, NHL not going to the Olympics this year. Uh, from a fan standpoint, I'm disappointed. Yep. Is how are how do you feel about it? Because you've worn the red, white, and blue in. Uh, In international competition, and then certainly in Olympic competition.
1: Well, I think you know they're trying to grow the game. I don't, you know, I don't buy that one bit, you know, internationally. But uh, talking to Kane, talking to these players, you know, they're really. I ran into Connor McDavid's dad uh, after uh, they played here, and he was with the Lions game because he was traveling to Buffalo. The parents are disappointed. I always said the two thousand two Utah when we lost to Canada for the gold. That was the greatest hockey I've ever been involved with. Uh, and f- from a standpoint, a fan standpoint too, must have been the greatest hockey they watched in, in, ever. So I think it's disappointing. They say they're going to go to China next time. On the other side, it gives some guys an opportunity. I'm assistant coach this year with Tony Granato and right. Scott Young. and right. um, It's going to give some kids that would have never had a chance the opportunity to represent their country. And I know how how much I love doing that and how, how, you know, lucky you were right. to, to represent your country. There are some kids we coached in the Deutschland Cup two, three weeks ago that were, you know, just content playing. Now they're so hungry right now trying to make this team and we're having to pick this team in the next, you know, month. Uh, on that side of the coin, it's pretty exciting for me to see these kids gonna get a crack to represent their country in the Olympics, uh, you know, on the highest level you can in international hockey.
0: When, how, with now Russia not being able to compete in the Olympics, this upcoming Olympics being banned, is it a wide open tournament? Does how, what kind of chance do you think the Americans have?
1: Everybody keeps saying Russia you know, is the favorites, but they've got the Olympics in Sochi, and you know another terrible outing. So right. you know, at some point, you know they got to, they can't be the favorites. And it's <laughs> you know I, I don't know why they picked them as the favorites because they haven't just. As great as their talent is, and these players that have played over the past two, three Olympics, they just have been able to climb that you know, to the next level. So, uh, obviously, if they don't play, it's going to hurt them the worst. Um, I still don't. I'm not sure on what's going to happen. I think Putin said something the next day about it, um, allowing them to play but not you know, representing the country. Uh, and not being able to play their song if they win, so I don't, I don't, am not sure if that's a, yeah, yeah.
0: There's a, yeah, uh, there is on. kind of a gray area, but I think the wisdom was is that the KHL was going to release their players. Yeah, I Pav would be able to play, or yeah. you know, whomever. and that, you know, people were still thinking, is Ovechkin going to even though he says he isn't, is he going to leave the the well, Capitals? He can't. You know, none of the NHL
1: players without a doubt are going to go. and right. Ovechkin's already backed off on his right. He has. He wrote that letter. But uh, you know, again, that's a big thing. Like Pav, uh, Kolychev. Uh, anyway, they got they've got the advantage if they let their KHL players. I would say, yeah, then Russia would have the advantage. Uh, but otherwise, you know, every European team has the same amount of guys playing over there. I think the two teams that are disadvantaged, the U.S. and Canada, you know, not being in the big ice surface. Uh, granted, most of our guys are going to be chosen from overseas, plus some college players and also some AHL players. So, uh, uh, collegiants will be playing still their season. Yeah, but they'll only miss three games. You know, the, 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 the most of them miss three of week- games. Because they play week- weekends. Weekends, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like Tony Granato is coaching Wisconsin. Right. He's only going to miss three games. So, that part of it's not an issue. And, uh, at the end of the day, to represent your country, you know, no college coach is going to not allow one of their kids to come.
0: Right. I mean, uh, you know, I, not a, a great moment, but up in Traverse City one time, I, you know, I had had a little bit of liquid courage in me. You know, yeah, I'd like I remember. to, I always like to teach you. Yeah. And I was talking about Captain America. America needs you because of 9-11. We, we, look, I'm going to go right on record. I was a complete and utter jerk. But Chris was the classy guy. and, uh, But, you know, because I just figured that, You know when I looked at when I looked at American players, and I grew up in Livonia. You know Mike McDonough went to my high school until he went to Swift Current or wherever. Uh, So you know Mike Donnelly was from from from, from, you know I mean so there was some hockey. You know I always been a hockey fan. You know Prince Albert, yeah, thank you. Uh, uh, But I I was just you know the more I drank, I said chelly has got to be there. He's got to be the captain. He is the quintessential American player. I mean I, I overdid it, but now i think about it and you on that olympic team you had to be the captain there was nobody else
1: i mean leachie was a captain during the world cup he was a great choice for that Uh, not real voice you know voiceless but he you know led by example i didn't i wasn't on the power play during the world cup i wasn't you know i wasn't I just fit in perfectly because I'd been injured all summer with a shoulder injury and joined the team late. So Leach is a great captain. There's, there's some other guys, Drury was a great leader. Chris Jury, I thought, was a great player. Yeah, he was he a
0: great player. Um, kind
1: of forgotten now, but a great player. Yeah, I mean, otherwise, we had a bunch of characters, for sure.
0: Um, but as far as leadership
1: roles, there's, there's a handful of guys that could fill that void.
0: What was it like, though? When I mean, being captain of the Chicago Blackhawks is certainly an honor, but when you're captain of your national team, which is the best players in your country on one single team, is is that one of the greatest things that you've ever been part of or associated with or when you look back and, you know, maybe most proud of. I don't mean to be corny here or like Oprah or something, but. Uh, Like fortunate. I'd use the word fortunate. I didn't even
1: know Herb Brooks when he picked me. Really? Yeah, like I never had met him and for him to grab me like that and I really wasn't expecting to make the team uh, that year. Uh, Wasn't having a great year and then I think they came and watched me. I had a terrible game in Washington, which I'd never played a good game in Washington my whole life. (laughs) Um, But uh, it was just a nice surprise you know, to, to be chosen and there's, there could have been a bunch of other guys that would have been captain that team uh, that were shoo-ins for the team. Like I, I was on the cusp, I felt, of making that team and then for Brooks to name me the captain was unreal.
0: Do you think that officiating does not favor the North American teams? I mean, there are, is it just more the international rules and the ice surface?
1: Only when we're in North America when Bill McCurry happened to be the, 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 the referee every time for the gold medal game. And he got two, I think he got at least one assist on Canada's goal uh, in Vancouver, if I remember correctly. There's some bitter feelings towards that still. but You and
0: McCreary have something going. Well,
1: like I said, I just didn't understand why he had to ref. You know, they say they wanted a guy, but every time he seems to be, even in like I said, what's he going to go back to Canada and screw over Canada in the, in the, in the Olympics? Right. It's not going to happen. No, no, I mean, they're a boys club at the end of the day.
0: Right, no, no. So, you know, I, actually, I actually agree with that. Well, Scotty had it figured out because that's why he went into the no, locker room.
1: No, I just didn't feel it was fair. I don't care if he put a European you know, referee in there. It should be unbiased, and, and it just so happened that's, that's three times that happened.
0: With <laughs> 2002, the famous picture... Of you out on the ice, you and Holly in Team USA jerseys with your silver medals, yeah. and Shani and Stevie. Uh, Steve has told me that he never would have done that picture if he had won the silver medal. <laughs> that yeah, he it. had so much respect for you guys to come out there and on your, you know, and and take that photograph.
1: Well, it was a special year, and at the end of the day, the one good thing about it is the Olympics is there is a second place and third place reward. So again like you get the olympics whatever i think four or five times like i did some people you look at the other athletes would die to get a bronze medal like hockey's got the different mentality obviously because it's you win the stanley cup or bust you don't want to be the runner-up because no one remembers the runner-up and you go all that ways and lose it's it's heartbreaking but in the olympics it's a different thing and at the end of the day like i said i was fortunate that i got another kick at the can it's not like we played some great hockey up to that point, two great games against Russia prior to that. We just, the wheels came off, and we just had a terrible second half of that game.
0: All right, Chris, I, I've kept you longer than I should, but I, I have to ask you about this year's team, uh, this year's Red Wings team. Uh, you know, started off pretty good, then, the, you know, then they had the one six-game winless streak, and then the seven-game winless streak, and. You know, they came together last week against Winnipeg, St. Louis, who's a really good hockey club. Not that Winnipeg isn't. Uh, that, you know, wheels kind of f- fell off again. Uh, I'm watching the Boston game the other night, and they're saying, listen, we play them twice now in the next 11 days. we got two games at hand. We're five points up. We beat them this two games. We buried Detroit. I mean, but it's a long season.
1: I, I was going to say, it's still too early, you know, to be uh, counting us out. I will say that the consistency thing that's been an issue over the past couple of years, you know, obviously disappointing last year, not in the playoffs, but they wanted to create parity in this league, and that's what they've done. So, you know, the good news is there's a lot of other teams in the same situation. That's not how I usually look at things, but right. there's no other way to look at it now. We got to beat the bottom half and get in the playoffs. Once you get in the playoffs, I think we're a team that could be dangerous. We have the talent. If we get the right goaltending at the right time, if our power play and penalty killing continue to be good, we're we're a good team. We just but again, you got to get there. And there's a lot of games left, but we the seven two games in
0: ten two wins in ten. You can't. That's not going to get you in the playoffs. You know. No, no. And if you look at it the way the Eastern Conference is, it does appear that five teams are going to make it the two wildcard teams are going to be from the Metropolitan Division, meaning the Red Wings and a whole bunch of other teams because of the way Tampa and Toronto are, that they're really fighting for third in their division, and if they don't make third, yeah. then the, making the playoffs seems like a real stretch.
1: Yeah. Well, like I, I talked to Kenny about a week and a half ago, I'm trying to think who what team it was that was coming in. Um, it was a game we probably should have won. I'm thinking of a home game, but anyway, we, uh, we we're in third place, we were two points out of third place. Right, so, right, right. but that, like I said, you can only say that for so long. We're giving away points. Our home record has not been what it should be. I don't, I don't feel we got to establish some type of home and home ice advantage. Um, and for whatever reason, you know. I don't know what the reason is to it, be
0: is it? Is it? Is it because the ice is different here at Little Caesars Arena? It's just no. a whole different environment? The amenities are better? Is it Because, I mean, the, the Red Wings are as perplexed as anybody no. why they can't seem to establish a home ice advantage.
1: Like I said, it's just a little bit of everything, but like I said, when we get goaltending, we don't get scoring. When We you know, we don't get a penalty kill. Like Even though it was third in the league at some point, we gave some crucial goals on it. So... Again, I don't. I, I don't have the answer for it. That's probably why I'm not coaching now because I got frustrated with it last year in the consistency. I would love to see us play with more edge and be a team that's harder to play against. I don't think we emphasize enough to play that physical style of game. There's we could talk all you want. We got smaller teams, smaller guys up front. We got four or five guys that are capable of doing that. And I just feel that they got to bring it every night. To, that that has to be the consistency.
0: When you look at the young players now, and and I think as you said, a parity league. In a hard cap league, you almost have to build your team through a draft now, right. and where the Red Wings have been drafting for the past 25 uh, seasons, you know they've had some good players. I mean Larkin. Uh, you can look at, uh, Mantha. at Mantha. When you look at when you look at this team and you see a core, it has to be Larkin, Mantha, Furk, maybe. Our Greek brother, Anthony, know see you. Yeah. yeah, I mean, is, 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 but when you look at the blue line, and I'm not trying to take anything yeah. away from these guys, you're one of the best defensemen of all time. Is there help in Grand Rapids? Have you seen something? Is there, you know, is Danny DeKaiser going to be able to turn it around? I mean, how well, do you assess
1: it? You, you talk about like roster spots, first of all. Someone has to get hurt for someone in Grand Rapids to get an opportunity. Do now. you like anybody down there? You know what? I, I, Russo had a little bit of a chance. He, he was really no different than a Jensen, you know. A, right. And then, you know, Let's up here, there's probably, I don't know. I, but not, people are enamored with Joe Higgins. Yeah, I mean, he's small. But, again, like, you don't know until he plays. Like, for sure he could be a, a power play guy, but the power play is good, you know. Right, right, it uh, is. I, you look at Tory Krug. Like, he's a great offensive player. But you watch her in the playoffs, and you watch, you know, five out of five. You got to be careful who you put him out there against. He's just too small. You know, right, the, right. the bigger players eat him alive. And that's nothing against Torrey Krug. He is what he is. So, if, if you can spot Hicketts, I like. He's got balls. Like he, he's, you know, he's not afraid of nothing. Uh, they at some point he's going to get an opportunity. I know they like him. I like him, uh, but it just remains to be seen if we send someone down they got to clear waivers you know i don't know who they want to risk doing right, that right, right. you know so uh i got a kid that's in the AHL. you know there's no reason in the world he can't be a fifth or sixth to me that's right. mine but unless he gets that chance i'll never
0: know right i mean so so it's difficult so the red wings have not put themselves in a great spot thus far this season they have a lot of games left uh, this homestand this week is crucial. They play three Atlantic Division teams yeah. and you know those are the teams you need points for and unfortunately Boston is 8-2 and two in their last 10. Tuca Rask has been on fire and he's Wednesday's opponent. Florida seems like a like a winnable game yeah. a- and then you've got Toronto who's always jacked up because Babs comes back along with Brendan and they're always psyched yeah. to be back in this you know b- back in this area. Um, well, no one gave us a chance to beat Winnipeg last week. They're hot as a pistol, too. Right, and we
1: we smoked them. We played the best game we played all year against Winnipeg. Now, whether they were just off, I don't know, but we played a perfect game as far as I was concerned.
0: When so, so there is hope. You think? Yeah, I mean, you, you, yeah. you think they're competitive and that that they could turn it around? Yeah, I mean, like
1: I said, Kenny, he was nervous that Winnipeg game things weren't going good, but like I said, the guys, we, you know, they
0: played a great game. Five on five, they were unbelievable. All right, Chris, I have to so. You look great as always. I you, you have the the, you know, you're kind of the George Hamilton of, of oh, the NHL. No, Cameron, like, yeah. no, you actually, have been, I like him. No, you a always guy. have I like him. You always have that. Yeah, he's, a, he's always been pretty I good. Like but him. you have, you always have the tan going, and I know just because you're Greek, you're, you're, you're dark complected no, anyway.
1: that's not true. Every chance I get when the team goes on the road, I've been out in Malibu a few times. So really, I really? actually, so just got back from Malibu, so we had some good weather.
0: So you, so you, and you've always have had, you know, a place out in California. Yep, that's
1: to train. Like I take the family, get away for two and a half months in the beginning, and slowly. But surely, obviously, the kids had their own things going. But for, for a good 24 years, we went out as a group, and no one brought a girlfriend or boyfriend. It was just us for two and a half months, and that like I was lucky enough to be able to do that.
0: Well, that sounds great, Chris. It's always a pleasure catching up with you. You know, you're one of my all-time favorites. I know I always play the Greek card it's a with Greek you, thing, yeah. and it always and it always comes through for me. But I appreciate it. Best of luck, really. Thanks a lot. All right, thank you.